If you'll turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 5, we continue our series there. If you don't have a Bible this morning, no problem. We got extra. If you'll just raise your hand, uh, we'll give you one. And uh, also the outline is on page 7. So if you don't have a pen and you want to write notes, uh, raise your hand as well. We've got pens and Bibles. I would be happy to bring you either of those. I mean, if you're getting one of those Bibles, there's a bookmark where you're supposed to be, but also it's on page uh, 234. 234. So as we do continue our series in Esther, uh, let me, if this is your first time here, let me catch you up to speed. An exciting, exciting book. Right, so let's rewind even before the book. The Jews are having a great time in the promised land, but one problem, they aren't obeying God. And so finally, God kicks them out. He says, you're going to obey me? You're getting out of the land. Now they're in captivity. They're in Persia, and uh, the Persian king, King Ahasuerus, is an evil, wicked man. And uh, he gets really mad at his queen. He deposes her, never to be seen again. Well, then he gets lonely, and he says, I've got a plan. He gathers all the young women of the kingdom and picks one of them to be his new queen. And he picks Esther, uh, a Jew who no one knows is a Jew. She has a secret identity, and uh, he picks her. She's the queen. Uh, but then, as time passes, we're now about five years after that, there's um, the, a guy rises to power named Haman. He's the bad guy, the villain of our book. Um, wicked man, uh, Mordecai, who's kind of like Esther's adoptive father, who's a Jew, um, he won't bow down to Haman. Haman gets so mad, he says, I'm, I'm going to annihilate the entire race of the Jews because this one guy won't bow to me. That's pretty evil. And so Mordecai's mourning. This was last week. He sends message um, to Esther. Esther's like, what's going on? What's going on? She's in the, in the castle. She has no idea what's going on. And uh, tells her and says, you need to go to the king and beg for our people. She's like, I'll lose my head. Nobody does that. It's illegal. And then th- these are th- probably the most famous verses we read last week of the book. They were this. Uh, it says, Mordecai says to Esther, um, do you, how do you know that you're not here for just a time as this? God has placed you in this position of power to deliver the people. Then he says, and if you won't do it, God's going to judge you, but he's going to send deliverance from someplace else. God's not going to abandon his people. Isn't that great? Those two lines. All right, and, so, and then she says, all right, I've won, uh, you've won me over, I'm in. And then she says, if I perish, I perish. She says, go, Mordecai, get all the Jews and pray and fast for three days. And this is where we pick up. So look at Esther chapter 5. Let's give our attention to God's perfect word. Esther 5.1 says this, And on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, She won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you, even to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, 
if I found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Well, that completes our reading of God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you for doing this in history. Lord, I pray that you have purpose for us today. So Lord, I pray that you would help me explain that. And they would see from your word what you have for them. They would be good soil and it would bear good fruit. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. There's this picture of me. Um, oh, before I do this, I, let's give credit where credit is due. There's a Bible scholar named Ian Duguid uh, who wrote an, an Esther commentary. It was excellent. And so some of the ideas from today's sermon and next week's sermon are coming from him. Just giving credit where it's due. Okay. So there's a picture of me as a little kid, uh, maybe five to seven. I've got this little plastic saw, and I'm going away this big old tree. I'm going to saw this thing down with my, my little saw. So kids, you can imagine that. Can you imagine having a little plastic saw and trying to saw down a big tree? How, how long do you think it would take me to do that? Well, eventually the saw is just going to wear out, right? The tree's not going anywhere. Here's my dad with a chainsaw. No, no, dad, I got it. I got it covered uh, me and my saw, we're going to take down this tree. Kids, is that kind of silly? It's pretty silly. Yep. Well, we're actually a little bit like that sometimes with God. That we're like, yeah, we've got this covered, God. Me and my plastic saw, we're going to take care of my life. It's called self-reliance. Self-reliance. Well, thankfully, Esther is a good example of not doing that. We're going to look at that today. Um, you see that line again on page 7 of your bulletin. Um, here it is. God-reliance versus self-reliance is first. Then second is unattainable access. And then finally, unlimited access. So let's look at that first one. God-reliance versus self-reliance. So the first line of the chapter there said, On the third day. I told you in my summary, but to say again, the reason it says that is that for three days, she and everybody has been fasting. Why were they fasting? They were seeking God's face. They were asking God to help in the situation. So then the verse continues. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court. This is a very detailed description, isn't it? Inner court of the king's palace. In front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne, inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. So they want you to picture this. And when the king saw Esther standing in the court, how long do you think she was standing there? You know that every second felt like an eternity right? She's standing here. The king's over there. When he looks up, it's going to determine in a few seconds whether she loses her head. So historical, there's uh, etchings of kings around this time. There'd be a guy standing beside him with an axe. You know what that axe was for? So she's, she watches. There's king. There's axe, right? And he's holding a golden scepter. Moment of truth. So let's see what happens. You know what happens. She won favor. Think about the sigh of relief she had, you know, when that golden scepter went down. So she comes, she touches it, and the king's like, what do you want? Up to half of my kingdom. Look in verse 3, there it is. It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. Now, if it was me or it was you, you might just go ahead with it, right? And say like, thanks for asking. There's, we got this big situation. You didn't know I'm a Jew, save us. No, what does she do? She says, we're going to have a feast for you and Haman. This is hilarious. Look at this line. All right, so irony is a big theme of this book. It's things, basically from this point forward, we're just going to see ironic thing after ironic thing. Here's one. All right, so look at 
uh, I believe it's verse 4, she asked, right? Oh, here's the response, verse 5. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. Okay, what's hilarious about this is in chapter 1, the whole thing with Vashti, his first queen, he makes this crazy edict through, through 50 million people, 127 providences, that every man will be master in his own house. Okay, that's the edict. This is important king business. It's not everyone. Now what is he saying? Go get Haman. We're going to go do what Esther says right away. So much for your edict, buddy. It's hilarious. We just see over and over again, this is a very weak leader right? He's manipulated by Haman. He's like, oh, okay, let's go to a feast. Let's get to it. (laughs) Well, we're going to see more irony in this. So the story goes on, right? Uh, Verse 7. So, oh, so they get, okay, so verse 6, they get to the feast. They're drinking wine. He's like, what is your wish? He knew that the whole, this all, she didn't risk her life to get a date with the king. He's like, I know she wants something. What is it? Out with it, right? So verse 7. Or six. Uh, He says, what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Again, same line as before. Now, when you hear this half of his kingdom, this is like a courtly gesture. This is not like he's saying, hey, up to 50%. I got 127 provinces. Divide by two. You can have them, right? So this actually, we find this all the way up in Mark. So New Testament time, hundreds of years later, let me read you these verses. This is from Mark chapter 6. And when Herodian's daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, here's what he said, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give it up to half of my kingdom. Right? So this is just, kings say this. But we at least know that, that he, he's intending to say, If you ask something huge, I'm going to give it. Right? Even if he's not saying 50%. So God's given her a ton of favor. But look closely at verse 8. This is a very cunning woman. Um, So look at verse 7. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I found favor in your sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I'll prepare for them, and tomorrow I'll do as the king said. Okay, so first it sounds like she's about to ask. Did she get cold feet? We don't know, was this her plan all along? We don't know. But she's going to do a second feast, right? So she's still waiting. She's still just kind of drawing him in. You know, this is like, she's got him hook, line, sinker, right? That she, he likes to, he's being played and he likes it, right? He likes his pride, just enjoys, you know, that he's being wined and dined before she, he gets asked a question. But look at the logic. She says, she doesn't just say, come to my feast. She says, look, at, look closely at the words in verse 8. If, if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, that I haven't even told you what it is yet, then come to my feast. So by him attending the feast, what has he done? He's obligated himself to answer what he doesn't even know the question is. Okay, now normally a guy would just say, out with it. Tell me what it is. I'll come to your feast, but what, what do you really want, right? No, he's like, sure, I'll come to your feast. I, I'm, I'm okay to be manipulated here. Very interesting. She knows what she's doing. She, by this point, this man does not like to lose face. We've learned that, haven't we? Right? He's done crazy things because he lost face, right? And so at this point, at this third time, if he says no, it's not going to look good, right? He already said in his courtroom, in his, at his throne, right, I'm going to give you half my kingdom. Now with Haman, he said it again. So at the third time, if he shows up and he's like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that, 
right? Eggs on his face, right? So he's, she is just leading him on, and she's holding. Um, she has a lot of courage to just keep, <laughs> keep stringing this out. Now, what do you think of her approach? What do you think of it? Can we call it a direct approach? <laughs> no. It's pretty indirect. I want to contrast this. The book right before this in your Bible is called Nehemiah. Let me tell you the story of Nehemiah real quick. He is also in Persia. He's also in exile. He's cupbearer to the king. His job is to bring wine to the king. He finds out the um, Jerusalem's all destroyed. He's really sad. He's mourning. He's fasting. So similar. Right? And the king notices one day. So another thing that's illegal is you, when you're a servant of the king, you aren't supposed to be sad. They want everyone to be happy. He's sad. The king says, hey, what's up? Why are you so sad? he's like, uh, he gulps big and says, he prays a quick prayer, and he says, explains the whole story, and says, hey, could I like have a bunch of time off? Could you send me with a bunch of, um, with letters and a bunch of wood to go do this? Huge ask. Would you call that a direct approach? Nod your head, yes. If you're asleep, I know it because you're not on your head. (laughs) Right, that's very direct. So we have Esther, very indirect. Nehemiah, very direct. Now which one is full of faith? Actually, both can be. You can be full of faith and be indirect. Now, it can be gutless and, and faithless, yes. Right? Her, how do you know where her confidence lies? We're going to come back to that question. But I'll, just, I'll, I'll, start, I'll put the question in your mind now. How do you know where her confidence lies? Here's another indirect advice in Scripture. This is from 1 Peter. All the way New Testament, Peter's giving advice to women with non-Christian husbands common problem. It's still true today. Oftentimes women have more sense than men. They actually realize their sinners need a savior. Men are a little bit slower to realize that. And so he's giving advice. You got a church, this early church, a lot of women and pagan husbands still. What are you going to do? Here's what First Peter says. He says that they, your non-Christian husband, may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respect, that you're respectful and your pure conduct. Now, what's Peter saying? Would you call that a direct approach or indirect? Would you call that a direct approach or indirect approach? All right, good. Very indirect, right? He's saying, to, if you just go preach at your husband, it's probably not actually going to work nearly as well if he sees a changed life in you, right? You will warm up a man much more for the gospel by seeing a, a respectful wife to a non-Christian husband. All right, so there is a biblical precedent for indirect approaches. That's absolutely what Esther's doing. All right, now one other thing. How big of an obstacles does Esther have? Let's pause and ponder that for a moment. Right, she's already gotten over a big hurdle, right? The guy with the axe didn't come after her, right? She got the golden scepter. She made it past hurdle one. What other hurdles do we have? Well, there's one. The whole law, this whole edict is an irreversible edict. Right, the laws and the Medes and Persians we learn in chapter 1 can't be reversed. That's a big deal. That law just happened to be sponsored by the most powerful man in the nation, minus the king, Haman. Also a problem. Another problem is that he bribed the king with 750,000 pounds of silver, half to two-thirds of the annual tax revenue of the Persian Empire, from Ethiopia to India. That is a lot of money. All right? So the king would have to hand that and say, oh, yep, I don't need all that. I'm going to listen to my queen, Esther, and let the people go. All right, that's a huge obstacle. Another problem, the man hates to lose face. All right, so if he's just pronounced to 50 million people, I'm going to annihilate these people, and then comes back and says, no, just kidding, I, just, I changed my mind. 
my wife talked me out of it. I'm going to let him live. Right? Doesn't look good. He doesn't like that. That's a huge hurdle. Another one. How do you think he's going to feel when he finds out that his wife, his queen, has been deceiving him for five years? How does this man feel when women embarrass him? It does not go well for that woman. Right? We already know from Vashti. That was her whole crime. She's embarrassed him. Right? There's a number of huge obstacles. The reality is it's going to take a huge miracle. All cunning aside, she's doing the best she can with what she has, but her confidence must be somewhere else. So now we're back to that question. Where does her confidence, confidence lie? Very important. All right. How do we know? It was in the first verse. The first verse said it. Look again at the first verse. It said, on the third day. What did she do first? She spent three days fasting. He, he, he liked, <laughs> I know this sounds silly, he liked plump women. He, um, remember the, for a year, they, he fed the women a whole lot before they came. Do you think fasting for three days really probably helped her look great for the king? Probably not, right? But she knew her confidence was in the Lord. So she fasted because she was seeking the Lord's face for three days, for three days. Her confidence was not in all of her creative plans. She went to the creator of the universe. I want to think for a second. This is actually our second point, unattainable access. Let's compare King Ahasuerus, evil, wicked man that he is, with God. Okay? All right. King Ahasuerus. King Ahasuerus, um, when she came in, it was like Russian roulette. Russian roulette. Right? She had, depending on the day, she might get the axe, she might get the golden scepter. If he's in a good mood, if he's in a bad mood, you're toast. Right? Right? Some chance. What about God? See, I think some people think of God like Santa Claus. You know, in the mall. Or maybe like an old grandfather. Come on, lad, hop up in my lap. Tell me what you want. Right, is that what God's like? Is God like Santa in the mall? Whole line of kids, just come on, hop up in my lap. Whatever you want. What's God like? What do we learn? This, I've been reading um, Psalms. A few weeks ago I told you that the Psalms are like the playbook for how to respond to circumstances in your life. <clears throat> I tried to take my own advice. And I said, you know what, I'll go back. I'll read the Psalms. So I've been reading a Psalm a day. And this past week I read Psalm 5. Um, This is a verse I read in Psalm 5, verse 4. It says this. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Well, you're not evil, are you? Evil may not dwell with you. I got bad news for you. Everyone who's ever sinned fits into that category. Take a water bottle, one drop of food coloring, you shake it up, right? The whole thing is whatever color you put in there, right? So it is with us. Any sin in us taints all of us. We are evil in the sight of God. He does not want our water bottle going into his pure water. Right? He says, I cannot, wickedness cannot stand before me. Here's the reality. We have absolutely no access to God. Look at Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities, big word for sin, have made a separation between you and your God. A separation. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he cannot hear. It's like the Grand Canyon. Kids, have you seen a picture of the Grand Canyon? It's huge. Some of you have been to it. I haven't been to it, but here it's huge. Right, so imagine God's on one side, you're on the other. There's this huge canyon. Your sin has made this huge separation between you and God. You think so you could hear someone across the Grand Canyon? I've been there, but I don't think so. God cannot hear. Our sins have separated us from our God. Now you're probably saying, Nathan, you make it sound like you're, you're better off with King Ashuerus than God. 
you're right. You did not misunderstand. A wicked, evil man you at least have a 50-50 chance with. There is zero chance of anyone ever coming before God because we are sinful. Except for one thing. Except for Jesus. Why did Jesus come? This is why Jesus came. There's this huge canyon between us and God. No human will ever get close to God. Ever. Except for Jesus. Jesus had no sin of his own, right? He died on the cross for your sins and for my sins, right? And so here, let me give you some verses. This is Romans 10, 9, and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart, one believes and is justified. I'll explain that word in a second. And with your mouth, one confesses and is saved. So heart and mouth, justified. Easy way to remember. It sounds like just as if I, okay? Justified just as if I. So it's just as if I had always obeyed, right? Have you always obeyed? Nod your head no. Right, kids? Good. I haven't always obeyed either. But it's just as if I had always obeyed because Jesus took all my sins to the cross. He was paying the price for them. But then it's also just as if I had been righteous. Did Jesus ever disobey? No, he always obeyed. So you get all his righteousness. He gets your sin, you get all his righteousness. Now it brings us together. That brings us to our third point. So from unattainable access, do you understand that? That a part, and some of you are still in that state. And kids, some of you, just because your parents are Christians, it does not make you a Christian. There's a huge chasm between you and God unless you ask God to forgive you of your sins. This is true for adults and kids. That's unattainable access. Do not assume that God is like Santa in the mall. God is holy and lets no one in his presence who is not holy. Third and finally, unlimited access. That sounds better. Unlimited access to the rest of you. If you've already placed your faith in Christ or you're going to do it today. If he is in charge of your life, running your life, then everything changes. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That for a Christian, you're a new creation, which is amazing. I'm going to give you several verses just so to prove the point. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sin. The righteous, which is who? Jesus. For the unrighteous, who's that? There you go, and me, right? The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring you to God, right? You're over here, it brings us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. One last verse here, John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. This is absolutely critical to understand. That our access to God is completely founded on Christ. It's not with any feast. You don't bribe God. Do you ever, when you've had a really sinful day, you've done something you really regretted? You've looked at something you wish you hadn't looked at? You've said something you wish you hadn't said? To realize I still have access to God. That my sins does not get me or lose my access anymore. You now have unlimited access. I learned this when I was, I guess, a teenager. It was really encouraging me that God loves me. I am his child, even on my worst days. That was profound for me in my Christian life. If you haven't learned that, maybe today 
will be the day that you realize that you are God's child. Here, I'll prove it to you. Galatians 4, 5, and 6. God sent Jesus to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It means like Daddy. You can now talk to God as a father anytime you want if you've believed in Christ. He is your father, and he loves you as his child. Now, kids, hey, kids, can I have your attention for a second? When you go to your parents and you want something from them, do you say, oh, great and mighty father, amazing mother that you are who brought me into this world? Oh, they do. That's great. My kids don't do that. Is that the way you talk to your parents? I've made you a feast before I ask you, could I have another bowl of cereal? No, you just say, dad, hopefully you had a please. You say, could I please have some more? And your parents love you, right? You don't have to bribe your parents, talk them into listening. They love you. It is their delight. That's not always for your good. They don't always say yes. But if, they, if it is for your good, they will say yes. That is the way it is with your father in heaven. He is your heavenly father. We don't say that without meaning. He is your heavenly father. Hebrews 4.16, this was actually in our service earlier. I think it was our assurance of pardon. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Well, that's interesting. God has a throne too. Just like King Ahasuerus. With confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. I've, since writing this sermon earlier this week, Many times I've prayed since then, I've thought about this. God, I have access. I would have no right to have access to you, but now I have access to you because of Jesus. And so I think of this wicked king over here and this woman like terrified to go into his presence and that God is way more holy and way more dangerous than King Ahasuerus to the sinner, but we're no longer sinners, right? All of our sin has been paid by Christ. And so for some of you, what you needed to hear in here was the gospel. Hope you caught it. You need Jesus to forgive your sins. Kids, some of you still need the gospel. For the rest of you, you need to understand how holy God is, makes you appreciate it, and then how much unlimited access you have. 24-7, he will listen to you as long as you have words to say. That is unbelievable. The God who created the whole universe will just listen to you. I mean, even parents, don't you worry sometimes if your kid talks too long? Never. He never gets tired of listening to us. It's unbelievable. Now, some of you have used Zoom. Anyone used Zoom in the past two years? Right? So, it's so wonderful. Oh, it's, it's just as good as a real experience, isn't it? It's just like being there with a the person, right? No, it's not. It's not. Okay, so let's imagine that Esther lived in the days of COVID. She lived in 2020. And so she got on Zoom and waited in queue to talk to the king. Right? It would kind of, wouldn't that kind of change the whole, it wouldn't have the same fear factor, would it? Right? Have you teachers, kids, have you been in a virtual class? And uh, what happens like if you turn off your video? Right? How, how much do the kids pay attention? Where's my teachers? Right? Is that going to go well? No, it's not going to go well, right? You can barely get them when you have video and audio, right? But then what if you have the, you, they see your face, but your audio is messed up, right? And it's not coming through, right? How long are they going to stick with you? Not very long. Okay. Now, what if you have neither? Right? It's just a little thing that says Nathan Francis, right? And, there, and you're just like, really? You sent him a letter and you said, hey, we're going to have a meeting and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to listen. But you won't see me and you won't hear me. 
Wouldn't that be awful? Like Zoom already is, is, is pretty annoying, but this would be terrible. When you close your eyes to pray, isn't it kind of like that? Zoom with no audio and video? Like you know from the Bible. I just told you in 12 different verses, right? God's listening. You have access, unlimited access to the throne room of God. But there's one problem. He turned off his video and his audio. But he's there. Isn't that what prayer is? I mean, you really have access to God, but you can't see him and you can't hear him. So we close our eyes. So we realize like, well, because if I open my eyes, I'm looking at you guys. So if I close my eyes, it's easier to talk to someone I can't see and I can't hear. And so I get it. Prayer is hard. And so that brings in the faith aspect, right? You read in the Bible something. It says you have access, unlimited access to the throne room of God. And he's really listening and he can really see you. You just can't see him and you can't hear him. It's difficult. But this is what prayer is. And by the Holy Spirit, he'll help you. I guarantee he will help you. I, I pray that we would be a church that makes use of this access, that we would go into the throne room of God. You know what's cool? We had a day of prayer and fasting a couple weeks ago. Do you know since then, our attendance has greatly increased? Why do you think that is? Well, because we asked God and God answered the prayer. Though you do have the nice thing that even though you can't have, you have no video and no audio, that God answers prayers. So you say, well, I know there's someone on the other end of the line because something's happening, but I just can't, it's hard. But by faith, you will. And particularly those who've been with the Lord for many years, don't, have, don't you have many milestones in your life? Like, I know God answered this and this and this and this over decades and decades and decades. You should talk to someone who's over 60 sometime. And you should ask them, if they've been a believer a long time, tell me about the Lord's faithfulness. Parents, you should tell your children that our children should grow up knowing I can really trust God. My parents have seen him be faithful. It really, really helps when you have no video and no audio for God. As we close this morning, let's review what we saw this week. All right, we got Esther. She and the Jews fasted for how many days? Three days. It's a long time. You fasted for one? We were ready to eat, weren't we, when dinner came that night? Three days they fasted and prayed. They didn't drink or eat. They were seeking God's face and said, we need a miracle. And we're going to see, spoiler alert, in the coming weeks, God do a crazy miracle. Way bigger than anyone could have imagined. We must remember the spiritual reality that we have unlimited access to God. So like Esther, who went into the throne room of this king, that we would go into the throne room of God. And hopefully from today, you'll have a greater appreciation for what Jesus purchased for you. It was a really big deal. It cost him a lot. Just because it's free to you doesn't mean it was free, that access. It was very, very costly. So hopefully you won't be like me, relying on my little nice plastic saw, sawing down that big tree. It's never going to work. Do not rely on yourselves. Go to the throne room of the Lord, and he will help you. Like my dad with a chainsaw went way better than my little plastic saw. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I can't see you. I can't hear you. But I know that you hear us. You see us. You see us all right here in this middle school cafeteria. Lord, you've answered many, many of my prayers. And so I know, even beyond Scripture, from my own experience, that you're listening. But thank you for Scripture. That's way better. Thank you that you say that we have, we have confidence to go into your throne room. And so here we are, Lord. We're before your throne. We love you, Daddy. 
We love you. We thank you, Jesus, for making this possible that we can talk to you. I pray, Lord, that you would stir in all of us to make better use of this amazing access we have to you. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, we have a little. Give us more, we pray. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.